Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. If you want 15% off some surfing, camping and travelling gear, look no further. Some really cool gear on the Northcore website. If you want 15% off, use the code THEGRUMPY15, capital letters. And you will receive, like I said before, 15% off your purchase. On the podcast today, I have a North Devon longboarder. He's competed internationally and in the European competitions and also is in collaboration with Bo Young Surfboards and Taylor Jensen Surfboards. So please enjoy my conversation with Ashley Braunton. A quick point to note before the podcast starts, there was a few sound issues with the microphones during this podcast, so bear with it, but thanks for listening. Ashley Braunton, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about you then. Where did you grow up? Uh, born in Barnstable, um, but obviously given the family name, family is mostly from uh, from Braunton area, but yeah, and then moved to Braunton when I was late teens, I guess. When did you um, get into surfing? Was it something that you did from, from school? Did you... Were you into like all the school sports, the classic, you know, rugby and all that sort of thing? Yeah, so I I think from as soon as we were old enough to walk, I think my dad probably threw us in the pool um, so that we, we could we could swim. <clears throat> and then not long later, it was, uh, it was much the same at the beach, really, uh, straight in. Uh, I did everything really sporting at school, kind of into everything didn't surf that much outside of the summers and it wasn't really until my early mid-teens that I, I was surfing more regularly year-round when I had the, the option to go by myself or with mates really. Oh okay cool. Did you um, did you start off longboarding or did you just you know go with the flow of the rest of society and go straight to shortboarding? Uh, yeah, I think to start with, it wasn't really a, a choice, it was what, what you what you had you know, I had what a board which was a big shortboard like a lot of guys that you'll probably speak to locally started at Saunton riding a, a shortboard and was in the water every day for as long as possible and then it wasn't really until I guess it was when the longboard resurgence started making its way into this country my dad had a longboard and I just had a go on it one day and that, that was kind of it really um, and I always rode both but as I got older it sort of moved more towards rider males. Did you find you, you were more um, you were more pulled towards Saunton or because um, you know from my from my perspective you know I've been surfing here like I said earlier for about what 15 15 years um, quads more of like a short body you know a little bit more peakier wave and then Saunton's like your classic well it's not classic Malibu is it but more of your longboard wave because you, you know you got your slow sloping beach and it breaks nice and easy and it's more more des more sort of designed it's not designed what's the word more longboard-esque isn't it yeah i think growing up it wasn't uh i didn't really have a choice most of the time you know that was that was where my dad surfed and then got to know people there and that's just where your friendship sort of group is and whatever and then when I was like I say going surfing with mates uh, when I was in my sort of early mid-teens we surfed wherever 
wherever was best really um, bearing in mind that obviously there weren't half the number of people in the water you didn't hardly see anyone but we would surf wherever was best the, w the way I look at it is if low tide crawled had good banks and it was four to six foot every day I probably would never surf anywhere else that's where I would surf but one thing you do have with Swanton is at a certain state of tide you have the one bank on the beach which you know is consistent you know it's reliable it can be howling on shore it can be whatever as long as it's not gale force southerly you're going to get something happen on that bank so a lot of people come to Swanton and they go well that's shit and you go yeah it's because you surfed at the wrong place at the wrong tide but you're not going to tell them that necessarily most people would know nowadays anyway but there's there's one good bank really on the whole beach but at that state of tide through the middle of the tide anywhere along the beach can be good um but <clears throat> yeah ideally coiled with the right banks with hardly any crowds you'd surf there every day but unfortunately half of the southwest wants to surf there and if the banks aren't great it, it's no better than surfing anywhere else yeah unfortunately well i say unfortunately yeah i think it's really cool that surfing has taken off to become kind of the beast that it is now you've got you know lots of people using it as an out outdoor pursuit and i think i talked about this in the uh, podcast with elliot um about how there, there were right, let, let's call them uh let's call them floating debris uh, in fact, no. I learned a, I, I, I learned a really, really cool word the other day. Uh, word the other day. I was listening to um, uh, a David Scales podcast, um, a California guy who's doing um, some good podcasts um, out that way, and he used the term val. Okay. And it is. Um, oh, oh my God! I've completely forgot what it is. Uh, I let this bit out. What was it now? Volatile adult learner. Okay. So they were calling people vowels um, because you've got all these people trying to learn how to surf. They're all in the water, but the amount of times that they'll probably catch a wave. Yeah. They'll probably catch a couple of waves on a decent sesh where, you know, if you're on your longboard or you're in the right place or you understand how it all works, you can catch loads. But yeah. these people are just in the way. How do you how do you solve a problem like surfing has? I don't know what the answer is. Surfing appeals to, to a huge number of people and it's great and it's it's you know, one thing that I've seen in my time is the amount of women surfing. We used to know probably every woman that surfed within a hundred miles because there were so few. But now you see women going on their own, women in groups, women in pairs, and they're all going in alone. It's great. And that's an example of, of, of something that's really, really good to come out of it. And, and it's, it's nice that you see young lads nowadays, you know, they go down with their mates and they go down and have a laugh. It doesn't really matter what they're riding. They're just going in for a laugh and whatever else. <clears throat> but if you were learning to play tennis, you'd have to go and book a tennis court. So you'd... Uh, more than likely you'd go to a tennis club or you'd go to a coach and get the basics and everything else and then you'd go off for people with your own ability and you're in that space in the ocean you're in a shared space okay it's everyone's to use but we all have to find a way to to make it work 
if you travel anywhere in the world and just turned up and piled out on the best peak on the beach and took off on whatever wave you wanted, you wouldn't be there for very long, or certainly your tyres wouldn't be pumped up for very long. In this country, the, that um, fortunately, that localism which a lot of us had to go through when we were younger, especially some of us who rode longboards, had to deal with, there were aspects of that that, that had a fair point. They gave people uh, the opportunity to learn and find their place in the lineup and earn it, which is still what you have to do elsewhere in the world. That does seem to have gone on the whole here, uh, which is a very difficult thing to deal with because anyone can go in the sea and everyone has the right to go in the sea. Um, how you make that safe for everyone is, is, is the issue. I think that once mm. you know, the waves go above a certain height, there's a limited amount of people that can go out and deal with that anyway. So as it gets better, um, if you're looking at places, okay, I'm gonna use Saunton as an example because it's just down the road from here. If people are jumping on the rip on the on, on the side and they go out, you know, past the rocks around there, I mean, any idiot that reads a book can understand that concept of using the rip to get out. Mm. Then I, I guess my point won't be valid, but. I think people's comfort levels sit in this country anyway between sort of like two and three feet. Anywhere above that, I think, puts the, let's say, mid to below average person out of their comfort zone a little bit, which means that as you develop and you get better, then, you know, you will be out back with people that are a little bit more competent to, you know, pretty decent to professional level you know and, and I think it does it does marry its way out a little bit I think where it does come in is during the summer months when the swell isn't that big yeah you know and you have got the floating bobs in the water that you kind of yeah. like zigzagging and weaving and trying not to hit people going out on SUPs thinking they're you know a surfing legend and they've never done it before and or an SUP foil yeah, that's a different conversation altogether. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, th I think it does marry itself out. But like you said, we haven't got that hierarchy system here, have we? Like, you know, again, I was, I was talking about the guys in Australia. You know, you go down to Snapper Rocks or somewhere like that where you've got, you know, um, uh, a right-hand point break. You're not going to go out, like you're saying, and sit out there and then expect to catch every single wave coming through one because, you know, if you're that intermediate to beginner level mid intermediate to beginner level you were going to get absolutely nuked on them sandbars mm. and two the other guys out there aren't going to let you because it's that kind of what you're talking about well I, I surfed Greenmount with probably six or eight guys and it was only six or eight because there was a chopper following a shark and the lifeguards called everyone out and these guys didn't get out I said are you going to get out they said no so I just sat behind them um, just so happened that a good set sort of swung in, missed the top ends of the bank and, and came in there um, and stood in a full stand-up pit on a mount and some guy just looks at me, just drops in and pulls in in front of me. But I didn't really expect any different. I didn't have an expectation of any different because that's just the way it is. I'm a pasty English bloke on a longboard. But the guy's not going to let that one go through, so that's the way it is. I, I watch, I'm, I'm real pasty with surfing by the way, so you have to forgive me. Uh, I, I was watching um, a YouTube video and it was 
Strider Wazalewski was talking about his first experiences uh, on the North Shore and uh, he said he took off on this wave and no one else knew him and the guy on the shoulder was a local Hawaiian guy and he was like this guy is not catching this wave so did what you said dropped in on him but absolutely spunked it wiped out himself Strider said he got an absolute gem of a, of a barrel come out and the guy was kind of real sheepish because all of his mates were there yeah. kind of going you should have nailed this guy and he's just going back out like paddling as normal <laughs> in, that, in that situation you got away with one haven't you really yeah I thought I thought it was really funny um, going back to sort of talking about your, your younger days and and, um, and surfing with your friends when did you realise that you were kind of going to stick to longboarding and that was going to be your, your main Go-to. I guess I fell into it really. Um, oh, well, like I say, I always rode a shortboard. I just, I just had a go. I think Tiki, I think it was, did an event with Oxbow a long, long time ago. I can't even remember when it was. And they brought some of the pros over with a range of boards. I can't even remember who the shaper was now. <clears throat> now the trailer full of boards, uh, and they. It was like an open day, go down to Croyd, have a go, and I had a go on one of these boards and it flew. And I thought, there's something about this that I, I've got to have a go, really. And then the Hot Doggers Surf Club were doing events and I kind of just had a go at those for a bit of fun. And then a few of the guys went off to go and do the, the BLU events uh so i tagged along i was only about 15 i guess tagged along went along to those by this time i knew a little bit about longboarding i'd watched a load of videos obviously john tudor bonk perkins and i'd seen guys like guts um at the world's uh, gittery where we used to go on holiday every summer or most summers with my dad so i got there and then these guys some of these guys are, are here and I, i'm some of the british guys are there and i'm i'm thinking well this is quite strange already and then you just get to know them and next thing you know you're, you're surfing with guys like Guts, Sam Bleakley, Lee Ryan, guys that have surfed at European and international stage and I was very very lucky that I went from that not really riding a longboard to riding a longboard to doing a club of, a couple of club events to then surfing with those guys and then within that junior section that I was sort of just in for a couple of years before I came out of there was uh, a guy called Dan Harris, Welsh guy, really good surfer. Um, Elliot was there, Ben Skinner, Adam Griffiths came along sort of a bit later on. So we had a real core around the similar age group, influenced by probably the first really, really, really top group of longboarders that the country had had. And then we were pushing each other in our own little sort of bubble, and then we sort of merged into what they were doing. So it just sort of happened, really. Yeah. So it was nothing really to do with the fact that you know you just enjoyed it more than shortboarding. If I could ride a shortboard every day in perfect waves and it's quiet, I probably would, and I, I would probably go in in the afternoons when I'm knackered on a longboard, and that would be it. And when before I had a real job and responsibilities, it's kind of what we used to do: we'd go surfing all day, whether it be on a longboard or a shortboard or whatever. 
But at the end of the day, if the tide was right, we'd go back to Saunton, have a surf in the evening, either on an onboard or on a on a plank if one someone had one that we could borrow because we never had a, a big plank, you know, and just go and have a cruise. And that was often the most fun surf of the day because you spent the rest of the day thinking, oh, should we go here? Should we go there? Should we do this? Should we do that? Which board shall I ride? And actually, when you just go and think, oh, I'll just go and have a cruise, you have a laugh with your mates, you talk rubbish, and you mess about and have fun. Here's, here's, the, here's the clinch with this. So I've got a range of a quiver from a little 5.8 fish to a 9.6 SUP. And I, I don't, I've never competed on a, you know, a grand scale, but I've, I've competed within the service. I've won the, uh, the, the Navy Surfing Champs longboard and I've won the inter-services longboard competition as well. Um, and when I, I was sitting down the other day, actually, it was after when I was talking to Elliot, and I was thinking, there's, what, what's going on here? Like, why am I, I'm, I, I like watching the WSL, I like watching the pros, I, I like shortboarding, but I have more fun longboarding than I do on a shortboard and it's because you can and I was trying to think what was it that made it like that one the ease of catching waves two the length of ride you can get and the majority of places on it because you've got the volume you can maintain your speed down the line and all that sort of thing and I thought well why am I so drawn to shortboarding I'm 40 this year I'm never going to be the standard of a pro yes I am really anal with the way that I surf and I like to look into surf technique a lot again talked about being pesty right Um, but I was thinking well why do I always go to short boards as opposed to my long boards and it's because I can throw a 510 short board in the back of my car and not have to worry about all the other space that comes with it and that is the only reason why I don't really carry a longboard around. I've got a, I've got a 9.0 nose rider on order for, net, for, for March this year. Okay. I'm really looking forward to getting it because in my head, I've got all these boards on a rack in my garage. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking sell them. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to keep a fish. I'm going to keep a mid-length. I don't know why, but I'm going to keep a mid-length. And a mini mouth. A mini mouth. Or a uh, or an egg. Uh, or a magic carpet, <laughs> yeah. inverted colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One one of those. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it's free name now, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna keep like th- like three or four different boards. That's it. I've got twelve. Don't know why I've got twelve but I have. Yeah. Um but I'm just gonna keep the ones that yeah, I had the most fun on. Well for years. I was chatting about this with, with a mate the other day. For years, all we rode was a progressive mount. That was it. That was the only board we had. You know, we, we had a shortboard, but generally the shortboard only ever came out in the winter when it was pumping, you know. So we rode a progressive mount most of the time. And for years, I've been trying to tell some friends of mine that have been kind of stuck in their ways about riding a shortboard or riding a, a plank or riding this or riding that. Try a progressive mount. Just try it. Because... We live in England. It's generally between knee high and head and half. It's generally relatively weak. 
and a progressive Mao gives you everything. You have that paddling, you have that volume, but you can also put it vertical. You can do full roundhouses, and you do. You you ask any of the the, the top progressive longboarders why they ride a progressive Mao. A lot of these guys could could do QS contests on shortboards. They're that good. Harley Ingleby, Ben Skinner, Taylor Jensen. I've seen them all. They're unbelievable shortboarders. But what do they ride? They ride a progressive longboard because putting burying a rail on a nine foot Mao and being able to put it vertical, but then also being able to be perched in the pocket hanging ten on the same wave kind of gives you everything. But also, like I say, you've got that paddle. You can still duck dive it as long as you learn how. You've got everything you need in this country. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, I've talked about this on previous podcasts as well. I think people get very pent up about image. And, for sure. And, you know, with this day and age with social media, I'm not going to rant on about that because I've done it enough. Um, you know, this day and age with social media, it's really easy to go, well, I want to you know um, Philip Toledo sharp eye because he does all these cool things well what's your ability level is your ability level equal or you know just below him well you're never going to reach that standard why are you riding the shortboard that's like a classic 90s toothpick which what yeah. we probably grew up trying to ride or riding well, a lot of people that I knew grew up trying to ride yeah and, and we were lucky we had influences that sort of push us in a different direction yeah and I'm like people are still trying to do that and volume is your friend especially look I know I've interviewed you know um, shapers and stuff in here so if they're listening to this or any shapers listening forgive me you're going to cringe like fuck but <laughs> you know I I bought a, um, a Firewire Cymatic Slated Design Cymatic okay. I did a lot of research into it I was really interested into the Dan Thompson's concepts with um, the modern plane and yeah. all that sort of thing on it. What I really, really like about it though is it's a 510 that I've got and the volume is really well hidden. So if you look at it, it looks like, you know, a really kind of stereotypical shortboard that we're talking about with the nose chopped off because it's yeah. a rounded nose. But it is the most fun board I've ever been on and it and it holds speed in the flat sections it makes me surf probably better than what i should do yeah. but it's all because of the volume <clears throat> and the positioning in it within the board that you know is able to do that now if i had a 510 i don't know paisal john john florence board yeah. Yeah. whatever hang on the wall uh, yeah, and, and I try and fucking surf that. Yeah. I'll get out and snap the fucker in half. Yeah, you know, um, because it won't ride. It won't ride the same no. because it hasn't got the volume in the correct places and it isn't, you know, thicker. So in the last, I don't know, say month or so, uh, there was a day we we surfed cord. I managed to get the day off thanks to my uh, very kind boss. And. We surfed, unfortunately it was mid to high tide, but it is what it is, but it was a good sized day, fairly clean, you know, it was best it had been for a while. And there must have been at least a hundred guys in the water, at least. And uh, barring a couple of sort of local guys that have, have surfed court for years and years and years who were on their shortboards that have probably got a little bit of volume in them now, a bit bigger than they would have ridden when they were younger. 
the guys getting the most waves were the guys on performance mounts and Stu Pointer was out there he was on his talk which I, I don't know how big it is but yeah, it's he's got an M2 I think it's like 7.4 or something yeah. Then. yeah yeah he was getting any wave he wanted and there were so many guys they were they were having a you know they were they, they were having a good day and we had you know had a chat with loads of random people and all the rest of it but most of them weren't getting waves and there was the same six or eight guys going in circles getting wave after wave and you just that it's up to them what they want to do I'm not going to go and tell everyone to go and buy a bigger volume board but they should because the more time you're on your feet the more time you go the better you're going to progress and for me that's what that's what I want to do I want to progress I think um, you know the point that you just brought up there is that I want to catch lots of waves and I want to have fun I get a lot of people coming to talk to me um, you know because they know I'm into surfing and obviously I've set this podcast up and you know um, what I'm doing is getting out there a little bit more and now you know I get asked you know what board should I should I get to to start I started off um, on a short board when I was 14 I bought this fucking tombstone toothpick yeah. that I bought in Freshwater West I never really rode it properly but then I bought a long board a couple of years later um, from uh, the board house down in Newquay okay. um, bought this nine foot long board and I learnt to surf on a long board um, and that's where kind of my love of it comes from a little bit because when I say to people right what you need is this and they're like well you know I went to this shop and this shop told me I need to get this 8-2 minimal mid-length egg whatever you want to call it um, and I'm like that's brilliant but you're 6 foot 2 and you're 98 kilos you're going to get in the water maybe once or twice a year on holiday with, with your family you're not going to enjoy that experience because you're just not going to catch anything and you need to buy a longboard buy anything from nine foot nice and wide nice and thick even if it's like you know these soft tops that people yeah. are buying now yeah. you'll have more fun on that and your kids can get on it and blah 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 and i can guarantee you nine times out of ten they go cheer shit lips and they'll go down the road and or they're gone to amazon which is a new yeah. good one um, or like the, the Catalans, what is it, go outdoor sell um, yeah, yeah. surfboards now and they'll go and buy this mid-length yeah. <laughs> because it's cool because it's cool uh, and then they'll just have a shit time on it and it, it, like, it breaks me a little bit but then the people that do, you know I'm not saying my advice is, you know, God's word but it's pretty, like, it's pretty simple advice though, it is though, isn't it? Length, volume, width, more wave count, more fun. Simple. And that's the whole point, right? Simple. Yeah, and if you can do that in amongst everyone else doing the same thing and everyone's safe, there is nothing more to it. Is Out there? to the people and all that. The amount of times we'll be surfing Saunton and it's two, two foot, maybe a bit more, and it's pretty dribbly, and you see someone paddle out on some 5.8 low volume... I, don't, I wouldn't even know what it is. I'm, I, like, you know, I had best part of five years out of the water and I, I've come back to this almost alien world because some things have gone so advanced. I literally, I'm, I'm just still catching up. And people paddle out on these little tiny boards and people are oh, that's a so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. They don't catch any waves. And I think, well, 
you've spent loads of money on all that gear, you've, you've, you've come all the way down, and actually what you really need is probably a 7.6 foamy. And then you get the guys that ride shortboards, some of the guys from the surf school, and it's two foot, they come out on foamies, and they, these guys can surf, you know, pretty well, some of them rip, and they'll come out on foamy, and they have a great time, because they, you know, these guys can surf, and they can see the benefit of riding a board with a load of volume when they surf shit. Yeah. I've got this really pet hate, and this is where the grumpy surfer's going to come into it massively, is um, I've got this real pet hate with going down to Sorton with my longboard, knowing full well that, you know, what the type of wave it is, really not too steep wave until it gets a little bit bigger, really mellow, really chilled out, and you see these guys rocking down there with your yeah, Machado Seasides 5.8 because he says you need to surf it four inches shorter, or your Pizals, um, or even, I mean, you know, you, you've seen these retro fishes are supposed to be wide and thick and to be able to catch the smaller waves but also surf the bigger waves but you i see them going down into the water and i know full well that all they're going to do is basically not even sit on the inside sit on the shore break and it's not even a strong shore break, e break either and i'm like what are you doing go around the corner yeah like you said before though nowadays the the scope for people to just watch videos on surfline or wherever it may be and order that wow well, that board that sounds perfect for me and order it you know without realizing that actually that average surfer in california has probably been surfing for 20 years and he's not the average surfer who lives in london who goes surfing four or five times a year totally different thing and there was a big issue in the sort of 90s, really, where surf shops, surfing was growing so fast that surf shops could sell pretty much anything to anyone. There were so many customers, it didn't really matter. And there were a lot of shops that were guilty of doing it. But I'm, I really think that now we are moving out of that time. I'm sure they still exist. I'm sure there's people that work in surf shops that get a commission or whatever and will sell the wrong kit. But I do like to think that actually the feedback that, that I hear and the stuff that I see is that the majority of people now do tend to be getting sold the right thing if they go to a surf shop, as opposed to buying online, which is what it used to be like before my time, really. It was about going in, looking at boards, understanding them, talking to people that have used them, and then putting that into, right, what do I need? What do I really need? Do I really need that 1,400 quid carbon board? Or do I need that 500 quid well-made mini mal that's going to do me for the next five years you know or should i go and buy a firewife shortboard for whatever they are 700 quid mm. that's probably going to almost give me the volume but it's too soon i'm not ready for that yet start with what you really need and don't spend loads of money on it really because learning you're going to batter it you're going to headbutt it you're going to drop it and that's i think a key thing that that has been lost a little bit trying to tell people to buy a second hand board as well like on yeah, second, hand, second hand surfboards uk or something like that um because they have like, there's so many websites out there at the moment that are selling second hand boards whether it's a facebook page or something like that you know and again we're going back to trying to tell somebody that's trying to get into a uh, inverted commas lifestyle stroke sport what would be best for them 
knowing full well that you know they're gonna drag their leash down or their kids are gonna drag the board by the leash down mm. the beach to the sea which is just gonna fuck it up spending a lot of money on something before they can competently do something yeah. um, and whether they stick to it or not again that's that's another thing as well spending yeah. lots of money on True. something that they're going to use once a year and then it's going to stay in their garage and then it's going to come out and it's still going to have the same wax job as it did January, January or August, you know, the year before. It's half run off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because of the heat. Yeah. Uh, it's all stuck to the inside of the bag yeah. and stuff. You know, it, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite a difficult thing, really. Um, let's talk about your, uh, your competition career. You, you said you, you, know, you were t- t- uh, surfing with Ben Skinner and, and a couple of the other guys. You know, how did going from surfing with the, those guys then sort of convert into you know doing competitions and and all that sort of thing it's it's one of those sort of things until you look back on you don't really you don't really think about it. you just sort of get into that routine of doing it for me a lot of people there's a real thing out there of, of people being anti-contest surfing and surf contests are totally against the ethos of of surfing and and things like that and I, I get that I understand where they're coming from I still love surfing for the same reasons that they love surfing the, the freedom and, and, and everything else and getting away from it but I am naturally a bit competitive I'm, I'm a man and most men are a bit competitive whether we like it or not everything you do you you want to win to a degree it doesn't mean it's the be all and end all and there's always obviously scales of it but I wanted to surf better and let's be honest, if you surf within your area and you get to a certain standard, you, you are one of the biggest fish in the pond. If I was to go and surf low tide cord with all the guys there on a, on a well, it wouldn't be a 6-0, I'm too heavy, but on a, on a small shoreboard, uh, it would have been a long time before I'd ever got to, to get to the point where I'd want to sort of compete. But with longboarding, if I wanted to improve, I needed to surf with better surfers. So competing was was the way of doing that, um, and also you get to surf with guys that that, that rip. Well, I don't see why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, if I had the money, I'd go around the world to all the the world events to see the best guys in the world because that is the best way to improve. And if you love a sport, that's what you want to do. If someone loved Formula One, I hate it. Some people love it. If they had the money, they'd probably go to every Formula One race because that's what you love. Um, so for me, going to see the best guys was, was that opportunity. Um, and competing at the same time was, was just part of that, really. What were, your, uh, what were your competing credentials, do you know? What did I achieve? What did you achieve, yeah. A mixed bag. <laughs> uh, one British junior title. Uh, I won a BLU tour event. Ninth at the Europeans. Uh, went out to Elliot actually, and I think it was Elliot and Antoine Del Perro. So that's that's nothing to. I wasn't too fussed about losing to those guys, but um, yeah, I did an international event in Biarritz and missed my heat, which I had a good draw and I was probably the best I'd been surfing ever. And um, they ran the contest the morning; it was smaller than than it had been previously. And yeah, schoolboy error, missed the heat. So that was an opportunity missed. Um, went to the Worlds in Costa Rica. Um, walked my first heat, no problem at all. Confident, loved the wave. Second heat, bottled it. Just 
nerves and everything else. So a real mixed bag. I've I, I've I won an event when I was about 18 at Fistral, got out of the water and there's TV cameras and everything else there, interviewing Ben Skinner and, and all the rest of it. I think I got a 10 and a nine in the final. I walked up and some bloke just leant over and just gave me the check as I walked past and that was it. And they, they weren't interested because I wasn't from there. I wasn't one of those, so that's another another yeah. conversation. But yeah, I think the whole, for me as a sport, you know, being the job I am, you know, um, my job's to promote sport, put teams out, not during the COVID period, but yeah. you know, um, get people into sport, promote it, adventure training, get people outdoors and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, we'll have insight into um, how, how each sport is, you know, progressively how you train for competition. I think one of the big things we're missing, considering we're an island, is that we are missing a big thing here with Surf GB, with having programs for kids up and coming. Now, I, I was going to ask you a question where you were mid-story that I know the answer to it already. Okay. You know, and I, I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to answer it for you, now you can correct me. During your entire competition career, did you have anyone telling you about your technique? You know, saying you need to do this, this and this, right? You're deficient in this area, whether it's strength and conditioning, whether it's paddle strength or anything like that. You're shaking your head. I know the answer already. I know the answer's no, because it's... Am I right or wrong? We had each other. Yes. We had each other. But um, you didn't have a professional coach and I'm talking more about like the Aussie programs and you know that have been going since what the late 70s and the American programs and stuff like that yeah so if you think that we've had what Ben Skinner's won 11 European titles Elliot's won a couple of European titles probably could have won more if he was if he didn't stop competing um, Sam Bleakley Guts was fifth in the world you know we've had guys that have that have performed at the highest level You've got Adam Griffiths, Ben Howie, and like I say, Skinner. They've all had good results at big international events. Without any of that, if you look at the French team, they've had government funding, coaching programs for decades. So they have got in the longboard scene. They've got Antoine and Edouard, and they and not a huge amount below them. There are a lot of good surfers there that perhaps aren't quite to that level. So we've got the talent without that program so imagine what we could have if we had something in place now in theory the government has provided funding for surfing finally this you know surfing wasn't recognized as a sport that's what a lot of people don't realize surfing was never recognized as a sport in this country which is why it couldn't obtain any funding we had two different governing bodies that were we, fighting over which each didn't other. help so we've now in theory got this funding what we need to know is how is that funding going to be implemented because you've then got to distribute that within more different governing bodies of different structures one might be very organized one might still be like a, an old surf club because it's run by volunteers who don't have a huge amount of time but here's your comparison so you know we were talking about uh chris sherrington earlier um you know you've got so many guys that are 
martial artists, judo guys that are top level. But within the country, bearing in mind we are a very small country compared to like, you know, um, America, France, Spain, Russia, all these other countries. You know, we'd fit 40 or 50 times into there. But we're still up there economically. Mm. We have, as a country, I say we, it's not like I'm in government or parliament, but we as a country will only pump a certain amount of money into GB Sport for the Olympics, for European competitions. You know, it, it goes on. It's only privatised companies that then pump that extra money into there. Now, surfing has only just been, you know, put into the Olympics for China, Japan. I'm going to do that out. <laughs> for Japan. So, for a new sport to be coming in, just for a new sport to be coming in, and then having shitloads of money thrown at it for people to you know, develop in a very short amount of time, bearing in mind like it was only about within, what, three or four years ago, five years now, because the Olympics is yeah. this year. That's not enough time to grow a, a team, its ethos, its, um, its, its techni technical output, its strength and conditioning programs, specifically for a new sport to the, to the Olympics. Uh, which is kind of a crying shame a little bit because we've got so many really good young guys that are in the GB team that really won't have the opportunity that like the Aussies, like the Americans, and you know who's going to win those competitions. Yeah. You know who's going to win them gold, silver, bronze medals. It's quite, it's quite easy to, to figure out. Now, concentrating on an individual's own talent that has had their dad go down to the beach when they've been surfing, they've done some video analysis and they've come back and they've watched some technique videos or they've signed up to a program on the internet that tells them that, you know, this is how you do a top turn, this is how you do, this is compression, this is extension, this is where you need to be on the way. The list goes on, right? Have, you know, having to learn that on your own and then go and compete with maybe a couple of a weeks or a month's training camp, maybe in location, maybe in Portugal or, you know, another decent location somewhere, it's not really going to cut the mustard. We're, we're probably a decade away, I would have thought, from, from apart from the odd individual. So Luke Dillon, at the moment, he's, he's a guy that's done some QS's and done, done quite well. He rips, he's a really, really good surfer. But he's probably our only one at the moment, which, considering we've had guys like Ruben Ash, Alan Stokes, Russell Winter, we've, we've had those surfers that have potentially had that, or, you know, obviously Russell's on the world tour. We've only got one at the moment. So, for, and he's entering, what, three-star QS's. And he's holding his own. But for us to get to the point where we've got multiples entering those events, and I know there are some youngsters that have done some of the European QSs and they've done all right, but to get multiples and for them to be consistent at that level, we've got to be 10 years away, easy. What is impressive is we do have things like uh, Surf Development UK that Damo runs, 
There's Surf Solutions, which I don't know a huge amount about, but I see a lot of their videos. Yeah. And guys like that. And I know that there are a lot of volunteers and parents and stuff that put a lot of time into the youngsters. And the progress, you can see from the surfing from the youngsters nowadays, the progress is is speeding up because they've got that more professional input but it's still from volunteers and it's still from guys pushing each other and making it happen so it would be nice from my point of view having come from doing contests on a windswept beach with a land rover with four blokes that feel like they're too old to compete anymore with their glasses on trying to judge you to then get to that level where we've had contests where we've had commentary and live scores and everything else It'd be nice to see that continue and that next level once that funding starts to come in. So that, like you say, those kids have got that pathway. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's an interesting concept and conversation really, and um, it's it's one of those ones that doesn't really have a definitive answer until you have um, people to put the funding and backing into it as well. So that then comes down to the biggest issue with surfing its commercial viability is very hard to measure. Surfing's not been in the Olympics, mainly really, I think, for one reason. You can't say at two o'clock this afternoon, we're gonna have the men surfing. And then the men surfing, say it was at two o'clock and there were waves and it wasn't peeing down with rain and loads of people went to watch it. And they're gonna watch two, three, four blokes in the water sat around trying to pick off two or three good waves each 20 minutes half an hour it's not very exciting is it unless you're a, a surf fan or if the surf pumping but if it's two foot on shore people aren't going to stay and watch it so that's where the wave pool development really sped up was the fact that all of a sudden you can have surfing at two o'clock because it's in a wave pool you can put it in a stadium you can put stands around it whatever you like and you know those guys can have four waves in whatever 15 20 minutes each and that's it then you can have sponsors so the sponsors are guaranteed the tv coverage they're guaranteed the stadium being filled etc 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 the sponsors really in surfing for surf contests do it for the for the love and you know to help out surfing really and help out the surfers in the past but is wave pool surfing what people want to watch and is it what they want to do? Because I know for a fact that none of my mates watch the event that's at the surf ranch. I, I don't watch it. I tried to watch it. I couldn't watch it. Um, it's not the same thing. So then you've got that issue comes into it. Ultimately, we've got to decide that I think that surfing is going to split slightly. It's going to go really commercial on one front. And then on the rest of us are just pretty much going to carry on. The wave pool thing is an interesting story as well because there's land permission been given halfway up the M5 um, in Cullumpton. I think mm. it's around that area. Um, I saw an article somewhere as well saying that there's a wave pool being uh, a wave pool has been um, commissioned to be built on the east side of Birmingham as well. My understanding is that Birmingham's confirmed London is pending. I don't know anything right. about I don't know anything about the one at chapter twenty seven other than the plans that I've seen the pictures of. Yeah, no, I think we must have seen the same article yeah. about it. Um, inevitably, it's a good thing because you know you you're going to get lots of people 
involved inevitably we want people to get involved and have a um, an energetic outdoor pursuit because that's what surfing is it's an, out, yeah. it's an outdoor pursuit but then you're going to take away it depends what, what you're into if you're in for the purest thing where it's all about travelling and meeting new people surfing new waves you can still do that but I think the wave pool is going to take away a little bit it's like the North Shore film, isn't it? Where, um, where the guy in Arizona wins the surf yeah, contest yeah. and he goes, right, I'm going to Hawaii yeah. and tells his mom, sells his stuff and out he goes and then he goes out there and he goes, oh, I want to be the best surfer in the world and he goes out in this real crap 20 and, and then, you know... Well, I spoke to an instructor at Saunton who had a young lad who surfed, he's only surfed at, at the wave. Um, apparently surfed fairly well, he came to Saunton and he couldn't get to his feet. Oh really? No. And I think that's the other thing that wave pools add. There were, I went to the wave once, um, a little while ago with some mates. And there were a couple of guys there that had it wired. Not not fantastic surfers, intermediate surfers, but they had it wired. They, they knew exactly what every wave was going to do, because the people say every wave's the same. It's not. It does move around. Um, and you can see that, and it's, it'd be interesting to see whether you get, let's be realistic about it, rich kids that get more time there, what's going to happen if they do that, but competitive surfing does predominantly stay at the beach? Mm. Because are they going to be able to transfer that? Obviously some will. I think that from, a, from a skill acquisition point of view, the motor response from being able to do these turns. Let's say they, they, they surf at the wave pool and then they have some technical advice as well, whether it's video footage or, or whatever, right? Brilliant. Technically sound, but then what you don't have in a wave pool, really, what I was just thinking from what you were saying there is, you don't have the proprioceptive responses, whether it's, you know, when you jump onto a wave in the ocean, it's moving. Let's call it, <laughs> let's go real Chad, let's go real cheesy. It's, it's a life force, right? Okay. It's never, it's not gonna be like, um, like the wave pool. It pumps through, it's a static bit of water. Yes, the current does get stronger as the sets go on. It's inevitable of the beast because, well, all it is just pushing water, yeah. but you haven't got those different energies coming from different directions like like the ocean has and then your proprioceptive responses to you know to your pop-up in those different situations an ocean surfer is going to be more responsive to that and adaptive to the conditions in lots of different areas just because he's had practice there as opposed to somebody that hasn't and has been in the wave pool now the person in the wave pool might be technically better but then they're so used to reading a motorized like a point break if it was perfect all the time uh, so used to reading that all the time yeah. whereas like you know in the ocean let's let's call it um 
I don't know, a perfect day at Uluwatu, right? Lots of people out. And you're going to paddle for that wave. It's crystal clear, like a wave pool. It's breaking perfectly down the reef. But you're not going to have that guy that's a little bit further down that's going to paddle into it and chandelier that wave and collapse it. How are you going to get around that section? You know, are you going to drop deeper, regain your speed, pump, pump, go around it? And it's all about reading. And I think that's where it's going to miss out a little bit. Maybe, yeah. I think the key thing from... The good, the really good thing about the wave pools is the community initiatives, the the mental health initiatives, getting the kids in and everything else. And that that was one thing that I took away from going to the wave that was really cool. The amount of people that were going in, having lessons, and and they were stoked. It was cold. It was cold, but they were loving it, and that that's brilliant. And the other thing for them is they are an amazing training tool for those youngsters. But the best surfers are still going to come from the beach they can use those as a training tool um, it would just be interesting with competitive surfing like I was saying about people learning to surf or progressing to surf in a pool if they have contests in a pool what's gonna which is gonna happen but I, I think we're probably again 10 years away from seeing that yeah but I don't think it's that I don't really don't think it's that far away I think if you look at the Olympics this year it's going to be in the ocean what's going to happen if the Olympics are held in I don't know, I was going to say Russia, but that's not really going to happen. Um, if, you, if you're somewhere like, I don't know. States. Uh, uh, yeah, Atlanta. It, it gets held there again. What, what are you going to fly everyone nine hours to the beach? I think um, I read an article somewhere about France. You know, France holding, but, you know, Chopu is in a... Oh, of course, yes. In, in, in a French colonised mm. area. So... Even though the Olympics is going to be held in Europe, yeah. the actual surfing contest is going to be the other side of the world in Tahiti. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if surfing does stay within the Olympics and in that competition format, you know, how that kind of pans out. Yeah. But then isn't breakdancing in the Olympics? Man, I couldn't tell I you. think it is. It's time. <laughs> so anything's possible. I'll tell you what's the coolest thing that I think. I can say that because I can't dance. Yeah. (laughs) As long as it's that, like, you know, strictly come dancing with all the celebrities that have won those over all the different countries going to it, it's going to turn to, like, the Eurovision Song Contest or something. We'll see. But, yeah, apparently breakdancing is in there. Yeah. Where do you see see British surfing as a whole going, then? I I don't really know. I think... Obviously, I speak more from a, from a longboard scene, but um, the competitive side of British surfing was really strong for a while, really strong. You had the UK Pro Surf Tour doing its thing for the shortboarders. There was money. Okay, they, the guys probably were only just covering their costs, but they were going to good waves. They had events around the country. The British Longboard Union Tour, okay, it was predominantly Cornish-based. We, we, had, an event, we had an event at Saunton. There was a lot of work to try and get events or else play, other places in the country, but it, it, it is difficult, um, especially as I say with volunteers and everything else. Uh, but we used to, I mean, for a club contest at Saunton, I remember, I think it was 50 competitors for one event. And for a BLU in Cornwall, it wasn't far off, maybe 40. Now, I think you're looking at maybe, maybe 20. 20 to 30 and that's across all divisions 
you know, the, the cost to do those events and what you gain back from it, they, they only really benefit the guys at the top because they need their, their ranking points or they need, you know, they need their seeding or they, whatever it may be. What we had before was we had club contests at Swanton where we had guys that wanted to progress within surfing. They came along, they got to compete with guys like Elliot and, you know, sometimes Ben might come up or James Parry or guys like that. You know, they get to see those guys surf and, and that sort of spurred them on, drove them on. They got to compete with them. I've, I've spoken to people that have paid an entry fee for a contest and they've just sat and watched because that, to them that's worth every penny. And there was that progression all the way through, you know, and then obviously you had guys like myself trying to push those guys at the top and, and you know, and occasionally breaking through and winning a few events. And then you have that progression from there to the British Longboard Union events, British Championships, English Championships, and a few of the, the guys that were doing okay in the club events would come along and they might have a go, and you have that natural progression. That's not really there. COVID is clearly not going to help that situation at the moment. But so when I came back to surfing, most of the guys that I was competing with aren't, aren't there. And that's a real shame. But then the first probably two, three months that I got back into the water, I surfed at Saunton and I probably knew less than five people in the water any day. And before we used to surf and there would be sort of a pack of about maybe 20 guys. And, and everyone knew each other and there was a lot of banter and everything else. And a lot of that's gone now, which is a real shame. Why did you take your five year out? I uh, just, I got a proper job, got offered a proper job, which I was very lucky and I took that and it, it, it was in sales um, and it progressed more and more responsibility, more and more time away, hardly ever home. By the time I got home on a Friday, I'd done really long weeks, I was shattered, um, lost my fitness, bad back from driving and I just, whenever I tried to surf I just felt awful and then before you knew it I wasn't surfing at all um, and then I got married and a part of my best man's speech I had five best men um, they were all on my case about getting back in the water as part of the best man's speech and then I'm um, a week before I resigned from my job I got made redundant so I took up another job locally, which freed me up, gave me the time at home that I wanted, and then slowly but surely I've, I've got back in the water. Are you a believer in fate or destiny? Not really, no. No. No, a bit, no. Sorry. I, no, I'm, I'm only asking that because, you know, through my experiences and, and the things I've seen and the things I've done, um, my kind of philosophy behind everything is everybody kind of has a has a path now whether that path is written for them or not I, I don't know it's going a little bit deep I'm not going to go down that road yeah. but but what I kind of philo philosophically I, I, I think that things do happen for a reason sometimes and I think the world the ocean Huey, inverted commas, you know, kind of speaks to people in different ways. Now, whether it's, you know, whether it was a good thing, it wouldn't have been at the time probably a good thing that you would recognise, you know, being made redundant 
from that job. However, you know, if you if you hadn't, even though you're going to resign, there could have been that period where you go, you know, what? I don't actually want to do that. But then, because it's kind of made you do that, then you know you've had more family time. You're back here, and you know you're in the water a little bit more. And I don't know, maybe things are just are supposed to fall into place. But then you could counter argue with that where some people are just shit out of luck all the time and, and don't have that opportunity. Yeah, I, I think in the back of your mind you know to a degree what, what you really want to be doing. It's just trying to make that fit in with how your life's going. And Some people are really good at that and some people aren't very good at it. And that's kind of where I see it. It's trying to, you know, we've all got to make our way and if you can make your way doing what you want to do and everyone's happy then then you're doing pretty well and you're in a pretty good position because some people have to make huge sacrifices just to have very small things so yeah if that's one thing that i've learned is actually um i probably didn't have the head for competing back then either took it too seriously not seriously enough got worked up more than I should or you know when things weren't going my way whereas now I, I couldn't really care like if I if I do come and go and do some contests again I don't really care the only reason I would like to do them is I'd like I'd like to see those guys again um, I do miss that that social scene I'm sure you'll speak to other people and say the same thing it's a small world the surfing world but the longboard community is really small it's surprisingly small um, and it's really supportive and that's something that I sort of didn't realise till I wasn't in it, but I missed it. Um, so competing for me now is something that I'd like to do because I'd like to know where I'm at and how far away I am from where I'd like to be. Um, and then potentially down the line, you know, may, maybe have a, have a crack. I'm not quite in a wheelchair yet, even though my body does tell me sometimes. So... We don't know, do we? We don't know what's going to happen next week. Exactly. Yeah. So. Hundred percent. What are you? Um, what are you surfing at the moment? So, so I just recently, I was, I was again very, very lucky. So after my time out the water, I came back. I contacted the guys at Surf Tech UK because I've been riding for them, and they, without a hesitation, said, "Yep, yeah, we'll, we'll, we want to work together again." So I've been riding balls for them, and then I just kind of I saw what was going on with with the Thunderbolt boards, obviously following what's going on with Ben, um, and seeing him ride them, Adam Griffiths ride them, Ben Howie, and seeing how they're surfing. I do, you know, if I want to be surfing back anything like that level that I want to be at, I thought I'm, I'm you know, there's got to be a reason why they're riding them. So I, uh, I spoke to the guys who, you know, massive thanks to them for supporting me for so long, like, it must be like 10 years now. Um, and I, I said, I just, I just want to, I don't want to be tied to one thing. I just want to go and try some other stuff that's out there. Cause I, like I say, five years out, pretty much five years out, I don't know hardly anything. You'll know more technically about boards and fins and wetsuits than, than I do by a long, long way. So um, I'm riding currently a Taylor Jensen Gem Thunderbolt, which is the full carbon, the car of the black. Um, Glenn at Surf Now has uh, very kindly um, had a chat with myself and uh, Phil Hill, another local longboarder, surf really well. Um, and we're 
he sort of said to us, look, I've got these boards, I've got some kit here, we don't sort of surf to that high a level necessarily, we don't have the experience, any chance you could just have a go on a few things, try a few things out and, and give us the feedback that we can sort of direct the customers the right way. So I've, that's that's what I'm riding at the moment. Um, I, I, I love I love the look of it beforehand, but uh, it's an epic board, but what a strange thing to ride to start with. Have you tried Thunderbolt? I haven't. No, I, I've seen I've seen the technology that's been okay. been pushed out there. Um, I've seen the speed. I've seen a few videos that that you've uh, posted. Because again, forgive my ignorance, but I even though I said earlier I, I enjoy longboarding more, I'm I more look at the the tech and the shapes of shortboards, but from watching a couple of videos that you put out, mm. you know, the speed that you can generate out of that longboard is epic. I, I literally rode it for, bear in mind I'm still, I'm still making mistakes that I was making a long time ago. I have, I have a brilliant wave and I think, oh yeah, it's cool, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And all of a sudden I'll totally kook it and I'll be like, no, I'm still a long way off. But I had a couple of waves and I literally couldn't control the speed. I didn't know what to do with it. I hadn't gone that far since I was a lot younger, riding real high-performance Stuarts that, that Ben and I used to ride. So I was like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to control the speed. I knew that that speed was going to allow me to do as much and more than, than I was doing in the past. But how do I control that speed? Because I'm so out of practice, I don't really know what to do with it. So. I had a couple of surfs, I surfed Limith one day, it was a good size, and the, the the thing was humming. I was going that fast. I didn't, I just, I thought I'd just go down the line. I'll just keep going, it's fine. And I was making waves from main peak to the river, the mid to high zone, easy. I was going around sections that, that no, I never would have got around on other boards. And that's not detrimental to boards that I've ridden, but I've never ridden boards that go this fast. So I, I reached out to Taylor Jensen and uh, he doesn't really know me. We met once with long, about 20, 25 years ago. So I messaged him and said, any advice on fins because I can't control this thing. Every time I'm going into a turn, I'm coming out, going twice the speed and I'm falling off. And he said to me, he said, it he reckons it took him about two months to get any kind of real control over it. Um, had a chat about fin setups, which was great. So I've got a fin setup kind of close to what he would use. Um, and all of a sudden, we, we went for a surf at Saunton's, but Bayon came up and we had a surf at Saunton. And that was when one of the videos, the bigger day. Mm -hmm. And because it was a bit on shore, I kind of had to take a bit off the turns. I didn't want to fluff any waves because a big day like that, you're only going to get so many. Yep. <laughs> and by <laughs> so fair old paddle back round in the rip. Sure is. By the time I was taking maybe quarter to half of the, the, the effort off the bottom turns, all of a sudden it was working. And I was realizing I was trying to turn it like a like any other board before. And you don't need to. The the thing flexes and accelerates so fast that it's doing the work for you. And once you learn to let it do its thing and control it, actually it's half the effort to surf. It's just getting used to it. So I'm just at the point, obviously we've just had a couple of weeks of no real waves, but I'm just at the point now where I'm starting to feel like I can, I've kind of got a lead on this tiger that's trying to run away, but the, the technology is unbelievable. It, it, it really is next level. Was well, it like uh, surfing with Bo Young over here in Swarton? 
he's hasn't changed. He was ripping, and he's like a fish. Um, yeah, he was riding some some knackered. I think it was like five eight, five ten thing that he had shaped that was beaten to hell. He obviously loved it and ran it for a long time. And he was absolutely ripping, um, getting twice as many waves as everyone else. But it was a good day. It was what you saw. I don't know, head high, maybe a bit more on shore. There was a couple of us on mouths, a load of guys on short balls, and it was it was a good laugh. They are the best days that so many people stay at home and oh no, I'm not going in. And they're the best days in England. Yeah, I, I, I'm. Uh, the weather looks pretty shit this week, but I think later on in the week. I might try a couple of places down by my end because yeah. on the, um, yeah, the yeah. south coast. Fortunately, where I where I live, um, the the estuary mouth ruins a lot of okay. the waves that would come up the channel, just because of the sandbanks. So you have to go a little bit further east. Are you in Exmouth itself? Uh, I'm in a little village called Limpston. Yeah, okay. um, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I I live there, but Exmouth is would be what you'd call my local, is it a local? Yes. Yeah. Not really a Serbian beat. <laughs> local sand. But I've had some really good days this year yeah. and last year at the tail end and during the summer as well, which you wouldn't yeah. believe because it would normally be flat and there's some sandbanks that are there at the moment that are just really, really, really good. Yeah. I took my 9.6 out a few weeks ago I had a really, really good day um, at Sidmouth. Okay. Um, never really surfed there like that, and I was like, "What is going on?" Mm. I, it, it was, it was. I've never seen it like that. I'd like to surf it. I've seen it with waves once when I was down there working. Yeah. I'd like to surf it. That, and but when I was sat there, I was because I, I took my nine six ups. I thought, ah, oh, you know, this is typical, typical crappy, crappy waves around where I live. And I was just sat there, there was quite a few people in the water and I was looking around, I was looking down the beach and all the way down towards, you know, looking down towards um, further further east, there was just waves breaking all the way down. I was like, I've never seen, I've never seen it like right. this. Okay. It was so good. Um, and the groins around there, there's lots, because that whole, whole stretch down there is, you know, quite long. I went to Ladrum once. Okay. Wasn't quite, wasn't quite doing it. Wasn't quite big enough. Ladrum is a really steep pebble. The closest I've been to look for waves was, was Ladrum. Yeah, so La- Sidmouth is the next. Yes. Next bit over. Yeah. Um, yeah, it only works on a certain certain time of the tide. Okay. Um, down there, but Exmouth, um, the uh, the the point down there. Um, it's not even. I'm, I don't really want to keep. Am I giving spots away? No, I'm not. It's Exmouth, isn't it? Walking <laughs> points. How many, yeah, how many people can drive this? Yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> this epic spot that's like. Most people around here can't be bothered to drive down the road. Yeah, so right. <laughs> the wind's just right. Yeah, uh, so Walking Point has got this bank at the moment that is really, really good. And I took my 96 down there. And I was just having like. I mean, it, look, it, it wasn't massive. It was like, you know, a couple of feet. Yeah. But it was just like really like really long, nice rise and it was just like peeling down this sandbar and again like I said before, I'd, I'd never I'd never really seen it like that. And it was just really nice to throw my board in my car. Like working here, 
drive 10 minutes down the road and be able to go and surf but then get back in and go back home and yeah. you know have lunch with my wife and my kids and you know not have the fact that I'm going to have to get out and then I'm going to have to you know drive an hour back home yeah that, that's the only it, it's beautiful where I live don't get me wrong and positionally it's, it's kind of cool because I'm an hour from the south coast hour yeah. from the north coast so I can play with that and a little the bit shop windows are bifocal as well aren't they yeah people like walking around Bongai <laughs> yeah so, so, so it is cool but it's also really nice you know working back up here again up yeah. in North Devon and and you know seeing all the guys again and being able to go surfing because a lot of my friends my 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 surfing friends are from up here yeah. you know like what we were talking about earlier and it's just kind of cool going oh, do you want to go for a surf because it was like you know yeah. two o'clock in the afternoon on a wednesday or something They're like yeah it's working Let, let's let's go you know it, it, it's pretty cool to do that um and i think because like i say i'm, I'm from the midlands that's kind of what i'm what i miss a little bit is that i've got guys people that around me that surf as well but they're like you know they live like 10 miles away or 15 or 20 miles away or they live in Taunton and, and we kind of hook up and then we go down and we all go our separate ways and it's always been kind of my experience and you know what you're talking about there where you go surfing with your friends and all that sort of thing yeah. it, for me it's always kind of been a little bit difficult like that because yeah. everyone's like you know dispersed it's like getting a load of pebbles and then throwing it on the floor and that's where everyone lives yeah. but everyone comes together in the focal point and then they move up and stuff um but at the end of the day you know i'm doing what doing what we do obviously your fucking shit lives better than i am but um you know it, it's still the same experience you still get the same thing out of it it's kind of cool like 100%. you know um, this this time of year outside of summer is kind of our time mm. a little bit. This is the time that we need to and and the and the, the atmosphere in the water is so much better. You know, I'm I'm no angel. Trust me, I'm, I have my moments in the water, but so do a lot of people. But this time of year, you don't because most people are either local or they're diehard. They they're really really keen. Everyone's there for the same reason. So everyone's got a similar frame mind, frame mind, and 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 it's much much easier. In the summer, you've got so many people with different priorities and different things going on. Um, it, it, it can be really, really difficult. Um, so this time of year, it's a bit more like, right, who's surfing? Who's free Saturday? Who's surfing? And, and then you get two or three of you, when well, I say you go together, especially at the moment, but you'll all try and hook up, and that's the chance to meet up for the week. Yeah. Especially when you've, got, when you've all got responsibilities at home. Do you follow much of the competitions, like the WSL events, or...? I, I do, I used to be a sort of a die-hard follower before it became as cheesy as it is. Do you think? I really struggle with it, I'll be honest. I very rarely would have the commentary on. Oh, really? Yeah. Do I, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't particularly mind it. Some, some of the commentators are great. But there's only so many times that you can hear Joe Tapel saying on point and things like that. It's just so Americanized that I think that's probably what it is. 
But you, you've also got to think as well, though. And but would I want to try and talk for, for 10 that's hours? That's just about what I was about to say. Yeah. You know? So it's not, it's not necessarily criticism of them. It's just blown blokes talking about absolutely nothing is, is not that exciting. So um, it depends on the event. I, I really like some. I like trestles. Um, it's just the final event this year. Yeah, which, which could be great. Um, if, it, if it runs, but yeah, if it runs, <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of sunset. I'd love to go and watch it in the in the in the in the flesh, but not for a contest. France is brilliant. I've seen that twice live, and and watching that online, I love. You know, in the in the, in the big events, the you know Fiji's back, which is great. But surf ranch is not is not for me. Brazil, I I can't see the appeal um, at all. Margaret River, I don't really understand. And when was the last time Bells was good for a for a CT event? About five years ago. Yeah. So I, I struggle to watch it because you know if it's pumping, and that then comes back to what we were talking about commercial viability yeah. of surfing. It, it's such a difficult area. Um, will they? I knew that they'd try and make it pay per view at some point. I don't think they will. But I don't think they're going to be able to because they're not going to get the viewers for the sponsors. I was um, I was watching Chaz, uh, or not watching, listening. He does Beach Grit. He um, he he's got uh, that platform. What's his name? Uh, Chaz Smith, I think his name is. He does again. He does another podcast with uh, David Scales, and uh, they they were they were talking about this, about do you think the the um, the viability of, and the platform of the WSL putting that pay-per-views, I don't think it will get the the, the revenue and the uptake of it purely for the fact because of the it's the longevity. Exactly. If it's for me, if there's an event and it's on from eight o'clock in the evening, I might watch it for a couple of hours before I go to bed if it's pumping. But there's other things going on so you watch it when you can you might have one in the background are you going to pay a lot of money for something that you might not get to see it, it, it is a really difficult one the one thing I, I am looking forward to is seeing some longboard events again um, hopefully in the future I know you're going to talk to Devon so I'll be a bit careful hopefully in the future they will go back towards something that I believe is more commercially viable which is letting the guys do what they want to do as the surf relic did um i thought that their plan was a really really good one i hope that continues because watching good longboarding or watching any good surfing or any good sport is, is great and i know the guys that ride shortboards that have watched some longboard events and they they pretty much have the same view as a lot of us as they look at it and go oh he was really cool to watch or that was a really good heat but that was that was really slow or you know because it's not their thing uh, I watched a bit of the Trestles Surf Relic event the other day um, when it was pumping and I had the logger division and um, it's one of the most frustrating things you can watch these really good surfers riding big heavy logs in overhead perfect A-frames and I, I feel that the WSL is kind of forcing down that route a little bit because it's cool and someone's convinced them that Vans or another cool single fin retro orientated brand is suddenly going to give them millions if everyone goes in a straight line on the nose I don't see it's going to happen I think you need to keep it as exciting as possible and the best way to keep it exciting is to let the guys do what they're good at 
the world tour used to be really good when you had Joel Tudor doing Joel Tudor's thing which no one could touch but you also had Bonga Perkins doing 12 o'clock Rios and full roundhouses and, and all the rest of it and, and that's what I'd like to see and I think that that's yeah. what most competitive longboards would like to see and most of the guys that don't follow longboarding would like to see which ultimately for the commercial viability of, of longboarding in the, on the world stage that's who you've got to bring in does everyone watch people go in a straight line and one footers? Maybe for ten minutes. Yeah, that just comes down to, you know, the the media people and, um, you know, what is, you know, hitting those markers. You know, what are people looking more to watch? I mean, you've got, you know, again, I was talking about YouTube, but YouTube earlier, you've got, you know, you've got the channels like Log, right? For instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. that have got I've just started following actually, yeah. Amazing content. Yeah, yeah. Got some really, really cool videos. Yeah. Everything from what we're talking about, ripping longboard into nose riding to yeah. mid lamps, eggs, mini mouths. Mini mouths. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, all just that. All, keep fishing that one. Yeah, there. yeah. Uh, mini mouth. You want to see a mini mouth? <laughs> yeah. Um, no one calls them mouths anymore, do they? I, I, there's so many names I've lost track, so that's why I call them mini mouths. It's an ongoing joke. Yeah. I don't know what's called what, so I just call them mini mouths, and it winds people up. So exactly, uh, yeah. but you've got all that sort of content out there. But you've also got. I remember I was just thinking then when you were talking about it, so Bonga Perkins was mm. he was one of the most iconic people um, that I used to watch and what. You know, in videos when I was younger, so I, I did have longboard VHSs. That's how old I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah me too. Betamax videos, um, a, 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 as well as like shortboard uh, shortboarding vids as well. Um, and one of the most iconic things I remember is watching Bonga Perkins. He was on a yellow. I can only just recall it as a yellow longboard, pulling into this massive barrel at pipe. Single thing yellows. Uh, no, it wasn't a single was thing yet, but that's one of my favourite okay. longboarding yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was pulling into this into this barrel when everyone else was on these shortboards, and I was like, "How is he doing that on that? And what is the rocker like on that board? And mm. how are the rails engaging to keep that board without skidding out of the bottom?" And it was just like, uh, it, it, in my head, I can I can see it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's kind of like yeah. you know when you see those iconic images and it kind of sticks with you a little bit, and that and that's all I can see. Whether he's wearing a gaff helmet, I can't remember, but you know that's by the by. But I just I just I just remember that. Yeah. And and that's what always kind of sticks yeah. with me about you know progressive longboarding as well. Yeah. That you know it's not just this really cool you know Malibu styling uh, Mickey Dora. But don't get me wrong, I, I, you know, I know there'll be people that will listen to this that'll they'll be smiling. I, I do love logging. I do trust me. There's a lot of people that won't believe me say that I do. Um, but I think it has its place. As much as guys that uh, believe that have probably got tattoos of one theme, one god, one country, as a famous saying from John Judah, um, they would hate to see someone flapping on a high performance mail when it's one to two foot. I totally agree with them, but I hate to see someone on a big heavy log when it's head, head and a half. And it's just preference, but I think that riding the right thing in the right waves looks the best and feels the best. 
Well, that's, that's what I was just about to say to you. So surely that should be condition orientated. Which which longboarding has the you know perspective to have? Because if it is a couple of feet, you can have your nine eights, your single fins to to cruise along and and do your little drop knee cutbacks. And you telling me that C J Nelson can't ride a progressive mount? Exactly. Are you telling me that Taylor Jensen can't ride a traditional mount? Of course they can. So why do you need to restrict them in a contest scenario for the benefit of trying to sell it to to someone? You know, aren't you alienating certain aspects by doing that? Why would you expect Philip Toledo to surf a single fin at Trestles, all in the aim of being cool? Would anyone watch it? I don't know. You watched saw Kelly Slater surf well, my wife on twenty the other oh, day. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be fair, those guys are that good. It probably would be worth watching. Yeah, but you get the point. Uh, I, you know, yeah, from, no, it I, it's merely my point of view, and I, um, uh, and call me wrong, but it's for me. It's about what's exciting, and watching the best guys do what they do best is the most exciting. I don't know why. C.J. Nelson and Taylor Jensen, as examples, couldn't go into a heat together surf their way that they surf and it'd be judged fairly because it's happened before we used to do it in this country all the time and it's happened that that, that single fin or traditional sort of element has, has really pushed through here as well you look at the criteria for longboard contests here and it is much the same you're expected to just cruise and get on out yeah that's okay that's uh, too far yeah I can't really comment on that because I don't compete so um, I'm just going to agree with you and nod my no, head. No. <laughs> you can tell I'm a little bit passionate about it. No, but but that, you know. that, that's cool. That's that's what that's what makes it unique. And you know, at the end of the day, people's opinions and experiences behind all that sort of thing is what you know can can change can change things. Yeah. You know, you could almost argue the fact that. Are they changing the format to see if it works? Is Maybe. it is it making it more a, a more visual orgasmic experience for people to watch because you can watch it live or would they change the format and say, Do you know what, not many people are tuning into this. Let's change it up a little bit, you know, and put people in I don't know. Let's take the longboarding tour to Chopu when it's you know <laughs> yeah. but, but you see my point yeah, though, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I think because even though surfing is competitively is, is almost kind of in competition forms changed so much since like the early 60s to where we are now and you think of how the judging has changed how the heat format has changed mm. every competition has its own different format there is no set format to say yeah this is cool you know you still got your your four to six man heats WSL is running this new format now where you know everyone goes to the end and then the top five or the top six at the end go to a finals day and then they all compete mm -hmm. together for the top spot almost like um, what the National Rugby League tournament does okay. in um, Australia where right. or, or here now in this country where you know the the top six teams then go into like a playoff format and then the winner out of that regardless of whether you finish sixth you could win the title 
at yeah. the end which is I kind of can see what they're trying to do they're trying to play with the formats and mix it up which you know in in a in a sport where we think we're progressive and well that sort of thing you could see that as you know they're actually looking to do something different yeah I, I can understand from from the, that point of view I'd like but the one thing I would say is that they're trying to move to the next level a little bit you know they've got, I can't remember the lady, the lady who came in as the CEO she came from tennis didn't she so right. she came into the SP and, and and made a few mistakes but I'm guessing that was to try and work out how they can make it as commercially viable as possible and more efficient and everything else with the longboard tour we've it's been missing for so long that that what I don't want to see is it come in and it gets put itself in this sort of box and that not be successful perhaps and they're not able to change or they're not able to continue it because they didn't get the followings because it it hasn't quite worked I, I don't from my point of view I've always been much the same good surfing is good surfing so why do we need to constrain it so much why does a board need to be a, a certain shape? Why does it have to have a hard rail or a soft rail or one fin or three fins? Who cares, really? Good surfing is good surfing. What I'd like to finish this out on is a bit of a quick fire round. Okay. I say quick fire round, and I've said this in all the other podcasts, yeah. is it always ends up being about 10 yeah. minutes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm hard dribbled on. No, that's cool. Um, so the first question is, if you could surf one fin setup for the rest of your life, would it be a single fin, twin fin, thruster, bonza, or finless? The option's not in there for two plus one, so I'd go thruster. Two plus one can be in there, since we're talking about longboard. Okay, a, a combination of two plus one allows you to have a thruster. Okay. So. Nice. Um, your favourite surfer and why? There's there's too many to too many to choose from. This always trips people uh, up. Yeah, it it would be Kelly or if I was to to ignore the fact that Kelly exists and if I was to ignore the fact that perhaps Tom Curran exists, Taj wins it hands down for me. Yeah, I think he's on the new um, electric acid test. Your okay. choice. No, I haven't. I, haven't. Uh, I think I think you might be. How he didn't win a world title, I just don't know. Yeah, favorite film from him is Best Bits. Okay, love that film. Right, yeah, I've seen so many surf films that they are one big blur. Yeah, I kind of got a weird catalogue in my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Which brings me on to the next question. Okay. The first surf film you ever watched. That. Do you know I, I had a feeling you were going to ask this, and I've been. I was driving back from work today. Which, which did I see first? Probably Tubular Swells Ooh. or Storm Rider. Storm Riders, sorry. Two, two Aussie films. Both of those I used to watch on repeat. Um, I'd like to get copies of, actually. So I tried to um, about five years ago with okay. Tubular Swells. Yeah. And you, 
I I think I must have bought it from Australia because oh, okay. it wasn't because it was a <laughs> it was a video it was well, a video. I need, I'll ask my dad because he might have a VHS. Oh, if he's got any, I'll let you know. That'd be legendary because uh, they're but probably you, absolutely knackered because I used to spend my weekends watching them. You'd have to take that to a video production team so they could download yeah. it and make it to a, a digital content. Because oh, you can buy a VHS to DVD. <laughs> Whether it's any good, I don't know. No one watches DVDs anymore. <laughs> if then you could get a DVD and put it into a digital format. It's like a, like a Blu-ray player. Yeah. Or a, uh, what, what was the other one? Blu-ray and... Um, uh, what was the other one? HD. Was it HD? I have no idea. Anyway, I'm digressing. Yeah. Uh, last surfing film you ever watched? Last surfing film is a really difficult one. Actually, so... So, I, I do know what it was. I haven't had much chance to watch surfing videos for a while, which is something that I've been trying to work on. But having a two-year-old means that I spend most of my time watching Peppa Pig. Um, it's always good. Yeah. Or well, I don't mind a bit of Dougie. Dougie's good. I'll Dougie's tell you what, if you've got Amazon Prime or on YouTube, um, Google Pete the Cat. Okay. It's a surfing cat. Oh, I do. It's amazing. I'll find that, Because <laughs> right? I've watched Boss Baby about six times in the last two days. Oh, so. Pete the Cat. Get me into that. Um, but so one of the boards that I'm really really interested in at the moment so sorry I'm going slightly off topic uh, I've got a board coming that's, that's not a Thunderbolt that I'm going to be trying which is I don't know whether I'm supposed to tell you this or not because but they are due is one of those boards okay um, so we're, we're going to be trying one of those for Glenn um, he's getting some in so we're going to give those a go they look they look fantastic so um, but another ball that I'm really, really like the look of is the CJ Nelson Sprout, which is in a Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt Silver, I think. Um, so it's it's traditional. It's the it's the model that they had in the film Sprout. Okay. It's that model. It's really traditional, but it's got that added flex because it's got that Thunderbolt construction. If if you watch the videos of Thunderbolt construction, I haven't, but I will now. Right. With my eyes going all over. Oh, I know something a little bit more technical <laughs> than you do, which is surprise. Watch it, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, so I so I thought, all oh, right, I need to know more about this board. So I went and sat and watched Sprout, which I hadn't watched for years and years and That's years. That's so good. And again, all of my mates out there that, that like traditional surfing will be laughing at me, going, "What do you mean you watch Sprout?" But I did. It's brilliant, and yeah, I, I can't wait. Hopefully, hopefully, if they come in to get one of those. Last question. Dream surf trip. Mm. Again, catches people out. Yeah, there's so many options, aren't there? I'm probably going to say the same thing that everyone says, which would be Maldives. Boat trip. I'd, I'd, I'd need to take the family, wouldn't I? I couldn't leave my wife and little It's your dream home. trip, mate. Oh, it's you, my dream trip. You, you do what you want. I want all of a sudden for them to really enjoy being on a boat for three weeks but they probably wouldn't so um yeah Maldives with family a load of mates for six weeks just surfing every day legendary Ashley Brown, thank you for talking to me on the podcast thank you for having me beautiful mate cheers cheers and that's it if you like the podcast please like share subscribe and follow on your podcast provider and also follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening.